Uh, welcome this morning to part two of That's All, folks. Uh, many of us have questions about the future, and that's what we're attempting to answer some of those uh, in these weeks. TV shows, radio talk shows, printed material, all have produced a wide variety of some rather unusual, strange, weird, etc. opinions about what's going to happen. For me, though, there is only one source of truth, that is the Bible, God's Word. Do you believe that? Yeah, so that's what we're using around here is the Bible. Our format is a little different. Usually I stand and preach and move around and do all that stuff. I'm going to try to stay a little more contained and do a little bit more teaching. And uh, if you don't have sermon notes, I suggest you get them because uh, there's just a ton of stuff in there. Some of us, some of it I will cover. Some of it I'm just going to kind of skip over, but it's all there. So if you need sermon notes, would you kindly raise your hand and our ushers... Uh, we'll get one for you. I believe, Mary, what's the going price of those $2 each? Five bucks. Five bucks. Okay. Uh, keep your hand up, and uh, the ushers will be happy <laughs> to get you some sermon notes. You're going to need them. we got a lot of ground to cover. Now, understand, uh, in this series, I'm doing a little bit more teaching. So, man, we have got to stay focused and in tune because I'm going to present some concepts that may kind of freak you out, uh, maybe stretch you a little bit. And, and again, as we talk about the end times, there's a wide variety of opinions, even among believers in Jesus. And I look at it this way. Uh, I'll present the material. If you don't agree with it, you have every right to be wrong. This is America, okay? You just go for that, right? <laughs> no, I don't have all the answers. In fact, I have a lot more questions than answers when it comes to this stuff, all right? So I do invite your questions in this format. Uh, this is a little bit different. So if you have a question and I can see your hand or hear your voice, I will stop at that point. Now, I will answer any relevant question okay a relevant question that means directly pertaining to the matter at hand if you have an opinion go ahead we can talk about it afterward but if what i'm saying is not clear then ask your question okay and i'll pause a couple times during uh, today's teaching to ask if you have questions all right so last week we talked about death and discovered how the Bible uses the term, which is quite different than the way the medical community uses the term. Having come from a long line of doctors, my brother's a doctor, my son's a doctor, medical ethics is something that we're really wrestling with in these days. When is someone actually dead? In fact, there was a news story this week about that, about a youngster in England. And so we're wrestling with this. What is death? What does it mean exactly? The definition of death medically has changed over the centuries, but it has never changed in the Word of God. Okay, so we looked at a couple of verses I think that are very important. The first one is Hebrews chapter 2. Because God's children are made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only by dying, only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Who has the power of death? Yeah, but right now who's got it? Yeah, yeah, as long as death exists. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. And I mentioned last week, and I'll mention again, there are people in this room that are afraid to die. This is a topic that makes you very uncomfortable, a little squeamish, a little uncertain. I know people that every time I bring this up, they push back and say, ah, I'm not really comfortable with this conversation. Many in this room, I believe, are held captive to the fear of of dying that is the enemy's plan even believers and if you're one of those you're not alone you're not alone but we want to address those things openly because the enemy puts that on us only in this way could jesus set free all those who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying we're into freedom here because the truth sets us free right and so as we think about this, I end up uh, with Solomon's words written about 3,000 years ago, the wisest man who ever lived, who said this, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties, for you are going to die, and you should think about it while there is still time. A wise person thinks a lot about death. Huh. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. So what are you thinking about these days? What you're going to do tomorrow, next week, next year, next month. Having a good time. Having a good time. 
Let's have a good time. Nothing wrong with having a good time, right? I believe the Lord has created all things, and there is time to have a good time, right? But there's balance here. A wise person thinks a lot about death. How much do you think about death? Some would say a lot. You're right. Some would say, like, no, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to. Right? Right? When I talk about this with my own family, talk about my death with my own family, man, some of my kids are just like, whoa, Dad, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Oh, yeah, we're going to have this conversation. We're going to have this conversation because we're all going to die. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Hmm. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? And so we flip-flop back and forth between living in a death-denying culture in which we will uh, take the aged and the infirmed and put them in institutions so we don't have to watch their slow demise and death. And I'm not saying anything about those institutions. Please do not hear what I'm not saying. There's nothing inherently wrong with that except if we're putting them away so we won't have to watch them die because we're afraid to die. Then it's wrong. Okay? Okay? Hmm. We live in a death-denying culture. We'll do anything to avoid death. On the other hand, we're in a death-glorifying culture. Just watch any Hollywood movie and you'll get a pickaxe through your head or your brain will explode or your face will be eaten by a shark or whatever's going to happen to you. Oh, isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Right? And so we glamorize and glorify death on one hand through Hollywood and we deny it in our personal lives. But what does the Bible have to say? Here's what the Bible says. Spiritual death is the spiritual separation of the sinner from God. This is all reviews. That's why I'm talking really fast. Okay? Spiritual death is the spiritual separation of the sinner from God. Paul wrote in Romans 5, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Uh, Is that pretty all-inclusive? Who here is not a sinner? Would you stand? I'd like to introduce you to the congregation and to the world. Okay? Yeah, because we've all sinned. That's what the Bible says, right? Okay. And spiritual death then is the spiritual separation of the sinner from God. How many of you have been separated from God at some point in your life? Yes, everybody, because we're all born into sin. We looked at that last week. Secondly, physical death is a temporary separation of the body from the soul and spirit. Physical death is the temporary separation. Why do I say temporary separation of the body from the soul and spirit? Why is it temporary? When you die and you're laid out, laid in that casket or whatever happens to you, you're burned up or whatever's going to happen to you, right? Why does it say it's a temporary separation of the body from the soul and spirit? Hmm? Yes. Everyone will be resurrected, be put back in your body. That is correct. Believers and unbelievers. We're not just some kind of spirits floating around out there. That is correct. Everyone will be resurrected and reunited with our bodies. So physical death is the temporary separation of the spirit from that which is material. And so we use uh, this passage of Scripture to illustrate that. Jesus said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. Where was Jesus' body? For who? Me? You? Yes. There it hung. Was he there? Now, where'd he go? That's what we're looking at today. Oh, stay tuned. All right. So the second death, then, is the eternal separation of the sinner from God. If we continue to live our lives and we reach the point of physical death in which we are temporarily separated, the physical body, from the soul and spirit, if we go through that process and we have never come to terms with God, then we are eligible and, in fact, headed for the second death, which is the eternal separation of the sinner from God. That's not so good. That's not such good news. All right? That is called the lake of fire and the second death. We looked at that last week. So we began to address some questions last week, and we're going to continue that today. Like, what did we do last week? Oh, are the dead present with us now? Can they see what we're doing? Okay, we'll keep moving. Um, Now, as we think about those kinds of questions, we're all familiar, I think. We've seen or read or heard of the great white light and the tunnel and the music, and oh, it's so peaceful, right? But what does the Bible say about the exact moment of our death? What does the Bible say? You know what? Very little. (laughs) Very little. 
about the, what happens in that exact moment. The Bible says actually very little. Angels surround us. We do know that from Scripture. Apparently, according to Luke 16, they transport us to God. Angels then will transport us to God. I had that just so powerfully, powerfully uh, reinforced in my thinking when Jenny Carpenter died not that long ago. What a powerful moment. Now, I've had the privilege of being present at the birth of each of my five children. It's a very powerful moment. I've also had the opportunity to be present when people die. That goes with my job, right? At the moment of death, that is also an extremely powerful moment. Powerful. So here's Jenny, right? And she's breathing her final breaths. This is it. Very labored breathing. Just, just, and she knows she's still aware. She's, she's still able to speak words. She knows this is the end. This is a young mom. I'm doing, come on, come on. This is agonizing to go through this process. So she's laying there in her bed, her family around her. Suddenly her eyes pop wide open. She sits straight up. She wasn't able to move. She sits straight up in her bed. She raises her arms like this. She is seeing something that I can't see. She is focused on that thing. She is just like this, and she exhales. (sighs) Collapses her arms just like this. She was gone. I am convinced in that moment, angels transported her to the presence of God. She was looking right at it eyes wide open it was a powerful beautiful moment i've also been there when people die in great agony believers fighting it tooth and nail to the very last just ah, angry Allah. that's why we need to think more about death perhaps huh. oh i'm preaching not teaching sorry i'll get back to it otherwise this will go forever the scriptures say very little when the scriptures are silent Hear me carefully. When the scriptures are silent, don't fill in the blanks with tabloid theology or talk show theology. I don't care what somebody says about their experience. I care about what the Word of God says because this is truth. And if the Bible is silent, it's always silent for a reason. Don't put stuff in there as if it's Bible stuff. Okay? When the Bible's silent, Let people have experiences. God works in all kinds of different ways. Experiences may be valid, may not be, but I'm going to always compare it to the Word of God. This is truth. This is the bottom line. All right? Now, Scripture does not teach us the dead see us. Nowhere. Scripture does not teach the dead surround us. Scripture does not teach the dead can communicate with us. The dead cannot communicate with us. I'm rolling through the list, so keep up with me. Here we go. The dead cannot communicate with us. Even if we try to do it, they can't. I don't care if it's a seance, an occult activity, something as innocent as an eight ball or a Ouija board. Innocent. (laughs) Tarot cards or spiritism. Uh, Understand, when we do deliverance sessions, when someone is demonized, there's always a gateway into that person's spirit. And some of these more innocent things, these are gateways into something... Uh, much more intriguing. Actually, these practices are severely condemned in Scripture. Let's go to Deuteronomy 18. I'm just going to read for you fast. When you enter the land your Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. Do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is what? Uh, That is a very strong word. That's a good one to do some research in. You don't want to do anything that's detestable to the Lord. Not a wise move at all. Uh Uh-uh, uh-uh. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father of above is looking down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. Any questions about that? Uh, I'll just pause here. You understand that, Ellen? Right. What about the transfiguration? in the gospels in which moses and elijah appeared 
What about it? Pretty cool, wasn't it? I thought it was amazing. But you're talking about the dead communicating with us? What did they say? Right. Because the Bible says they said anything to the living. They were there as witnesses, because let every matter be established on the basis of two or three witnesses. You had the law and the prophets represented there, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, that this is in fact the Messiah. Again, that's the purpose of the transfiguration, to prepare the disciples for his very eminent crucifixion, that they would remember exactly what God said. This is my beloved son. In fact, he's got everybody on his side. So that's good, but they don't, they're not communicating. Not communicating. Good. All right. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, you used one last week, Stacey. You're getting near the limit. <laughs> near, the, near the limit of question. No, go ahead. I'm just teasing. Right. Okay, Stacy is asking, what if you've seen a ghost or a spirit? What are demons? Are they dead people? No. They are fallen angels, according to Scripture. So, can we see the evidence of the demonic? Absolutely. Do people see those kinds of things? Yeah. If I could transport you out of this country into the rest of the world that is far more spiritual than America is, where in fact, where I came from, from Thailand or serving in Africa as well, uh, this is everyday stuff. They're always seeing spirits. They're all around because they are all around us right now. They are. They're there. Can we see evidence of them? Absolutely we can. But they are not dead people brought back to life. To make sure we're on that. Okay, I got to keep going. Save your questions for a moment. Maybe I'll answer some of them. All right. The dead, talking about communicating. The Virgin Mary or other dead saints pray for us. Bible never says that. The dead need our prayers. No, no, no. Don't bother praying for dead people, okay? The dead can be reincarnated or recycled. Scripture does not teach that. But what about those who have died and come back? There's a lot of weird havings out there. We've got astral projection. We've got near-death or out-of-body experiences. Man, just go on those special channels, and you can watch all the people who have died and come back again. Hmm, hmm. What does the Scripture say? That's what I want to know. I believe there's a lot of resuscitations out there. I believe that uh, there are a lot of weird happenings. I believe the mind also is filled with all kinds of things. Oh, boy, I'll get off track here. What does the Scripture say? Just as each person is destined to die, how many times? Huh. Huh. But you died twice. You went to heaven, then you came back. Or you went to hell, and then you came back. Hmm. Hmm. Experience or Scripture? Each person is destined to die how many times? Huh. Huh. Also, I'll say, what about Lazarus? What about this? What about that? Each person doesn't die once. I get that. Where do we go when we die? Where do you go when you die? Let's define a few more terms to help us understand the answer to that question. First term is Sheol. What is Sheol? Sheol is the Old Testament Hebrew term for the place of the dead. The Old Testament Hebrew term for the place of the dead. Okay, got your blanks filled in. You feel better now? Now, prior to Christ's resurrection, it was the destiny of both believers and unbelievers. Everybody went to Sheol. Sheol in the Bible is always spoken of as down. Always down. The Old Testament Hebrew term is always down. The word Sheol is found 65 times in the Old Testament. Unfortunately, when it's translated into English, we kind of lose its essence. So this chart just shows us we didn't have room in the sermon notes to put the chart, so there it is. King Jimmy says grave, hell, and pit. NIV says grave, death, or depth of the grave. That is all the word Sheol in Hebrew. Okay? So uh, our interpreters have given it a slight spin when it comes to that. Just so we're aware of that. But it is the place of the dead. Okay? 
Old Testament Hebrew term. Now, from the teaching of Jesus in Luke 16, we discover apparently Sheol has two different sections. Whoa! Two different sections in Sheol. The place of the dead has two different sections. Here's Luke 16. There's a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. At Lazarus, as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Gross. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit behind Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. Place of the dead? Where's that? Oh, there in torment, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. Ooh. Now, here's a mind-blowing thought. When Jesus died on the cross and released his spirit, as we just saw, where did he go? This will help us understand where we go. He went to Sheol. He went to Sheol. All right, let's see how, how this works, okay? Now, we're going to try some technology here, and we're going to see how this works. And I hope it does, or I'm in big trouble. All right. Oh, I can do this. Okay, let's undo that. Let's do this. Okay. Oh, I'm going to have fun with this. All right, so this is the timeline, right? This is the timeline. Now, here is the most important event in human history. What is it? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, I can change color, too. Whoa, this is really fun. Okay, so what we're talking about is a place here. And what do we call this place where everybody goes when they die? Sheol. This is Sheol, okay? Hebrew term for the place of the dead. Okay? And apparently, according to Jesus' teaching, this had two compartments. One for those who died in faith. Others for those who died without God. All right? So, oh, Lord, help us understand this, all right? So where did Jesus go when he died? He was on the cross. He died of a broken heart at the crucifixion. Where does the Bible say he went? Well, there's some indicators. First Peter 3, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago. Those verses are in your sermon. Let's just kind of follow along, okay? So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago. So he went down. Down? What did he do when he went down? He preached to the spirits in prison. What did he preach? Like, have faith in me, repent, and you can live forever with me. Uh Uh-uh. What did he say? I'm the king. I'm the great I am. I'm the conqueror of death and sin. The victory is complete. It is won. It is finished. So he went and preached, and there proclaimed, he was the victor. Now, Ephesians 4 has an interesting verses. Here's what it says. When he ascended on high, that being Jesus, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So these people of faith went with Jesus. Now, what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? who was dying beside him. Tatum will be with me where? Where's paradise? Ah, paradise, this part of Sheol, the good part where Lazarus went, the presence of God, and that's how we're defining, by the way, paradise, the presence of God in your sermon notes. These people were taken by Jesus to paradise, the presence of God. So in the Old Testament, when you died, where'd you go? Stay with me here. Stay with me. Hell, hell. You went where? You went down to Sheol, correct? Now, 
Something very important happened at the resurrection of Jesus. It said he first descended before he ascended, and as he ascended, he took everyone with him, those who were waiting for him by faith. So to summarize, paradise was in Sheol, but something changed after the resurrection. Paradise is now always up and not down. After the resurrection, paradise is always spoken of as up and never down again. Huh. How does that work? How does that work? Well, Paul was taken, the Apostle Paul was taken to the third heaven. What's the third heaven, you ask? Huh. What's the third heaven? Well, in Greek thinking, it went like this. The first heaven is that which I can see. If I look out there and I can see the wind blowing through the trees, that's the first heaven. I can see that. The second heaven is that which the human eye can see as far as it can. So when I go out on a starry night and look up and there the the sky is filled with stars, that's as far as I can see, that's the second heaven. In Greek thinking, the third heaven is that which is beyond the physical that which is spiritual, that which I can only see through spiritual eyes. So Paul said, I was taken beyond into the next dimension, if you will, beyond reality, beyond what I can see into the very presence of God. Now, here's what he said. I would reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught where? Up to paradise. And heard things so astounding they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to, ha- to tell because I has not seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared in advance for those who love him. This stuff is absolutely mind-boggling. It is mind-blowing. So Paul was taken to the third heaven, up, up to paradise. And there he saw some astounding things. Now, one last term for today. And I'm really thinking about giving you guys a quiz, so you better get these terms nailed down, okay? One last term for today, Hades. What is Hades? Hades is a New Testament, which means it's a Greek word. It is the same as Sheol. It is the New Testament or Greek equivalent of Sheol. Okay? So these are synonyms. These are synonyms. Now, we do know that those who died in faith believing in God in the Old Testament were taken up to paradise. So paradise is now up here. So let's see if we're understanding that. Where does a believer go when they die? Up to where? What is paradise? Oh, you're good. This congregation, I'm telling you, is so smart. Where does an unbeliever go when they die? Sheol, which is Old Testament, what's the New Testament? They go to Hades. And we're going to see that in just a minute because death and Hades are given up and then cast into the lake of fire. So hold on. Okay, now my understanding of Scripture is that paradise is not heaven and Hades is not hell. Hear me carefully. Paradise is not yet heaven. Why do I say that? Because what does John say in Revelation 21? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Hmm. New heaven, new earth. For the first we're done away, and there's no longer any sea, John says in Revelation 21.1, right? So there's a new heaven. Hades is not hell because hell really is the lake of fire. That doesn't happen quite yet. But is there conscious torment in Hades? Is there good stuff in the presence of God? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to see that now. <laughs> Have I twisted your brain too hard? Okay, where did Jesus go when he died? He went down and then went, okay. Where does a believer go when they die? Okay, we're going we're gonna to unpackage that thought in just a moment. Where does an unbeliever go when they die? Go down. Up, down, 
down. Relative terms, right? Like what's up and what's down? Is hell in the center of the, well, stay tuned. We're going to talk about heaven and hell uh, in the last part of this thing, okay? So back to our question, where do we go when we die? You guys want the good news or the bad news? Hey, thank you. That's me too. I'll take the bad news first, please. Always give me the bad news first. Okay, we're going to go to the bad news first. <sighs> Unbelievers. The bad news for those who die outside of God's love, there is immediate torment. We already looked at that in Luke 16, 24. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Man, I am on fire, and that's not a good thing when I say I'm on fire. No, that's anguish. And then finally, a frightening finale at the great white throne judgment. John sees this great white throne. He sees the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. That's the word, 80s, by the way. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. Oh, God, help us. Help us. I want you to understand very, very carefully, there are no second chances. The moment of physical death seals the deal. Therefore, every judgment in Scripture is according to our deeds because that is sealed at the point of physical death, the temporary separation of the body from the soul and the spirit, physical death. That's it. No more second chances, no more... Oh, I missed it. Can I redo? Can I take a mulligan on this one? No, 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 no. It's not going to work that way. It is done. It is done. The fate is sealed. There is no place called purgatory. There is no place called purgatory. According to the Roman Catholic Church, and again, I'm not here to bash anybody. No, I'm here to see what the Bible says and look at that. Understand my heart when I say this. Um, others are going to believe what they're going to believe. I want to know what the Bible believes. That's what I'm about. According to the Roman Catholic Church, this is their teaching, purgatory is an intermediate state where souls departing this life are by the ministry of suffering cleansed from venial sins and the temporary punishment due to remitted sins before entrance into heaven. Souls in purgatory may be aided by prayers, alms, and the mass. Okay, That's what Catholics teach. Now, what did I say there? I said a whole bunch of stuff. So they say there's an intermediate state where souls departing this life through suffering are cleansed from venial sins and the temporal punishment due to remitted sin. So if your sins are forgiven, but you still got to work off the consequences, you go to this holding tank called purgatory, which is an intermediate state before you can enter into the presence of God. You got to work off all this stuff. Now, souls in purgatory may be aided by prayers, alms, and the mass. In other words, if you give more money, you can get out of purgatory faster. If you light more candles, you can get out of purgatory faster. This is a teaching of the Catholic Church. You can hasten a person's stay in purgatory by giving money, praying more, lighting more candles, and going through the rituals. This is what is taught. Now, one thing that's always been so confusing for me is that the Pope speaking ex-cathedra can free anyone from purgatory simply by a word. If I were a man of peace and grace, I would say, go to heaven. Not work it off or get more money and do this. You have the power, according to the Catholic Church, to release any soul from purgatory at any time. Now, does the Bible teach about this place of purification, this intermediate state that kind of gets you warmed up, or purified for heaven? Does the Bible teach that? Thank you. No, the Bible does not teach us. The notion of praying for the dead and to the saints and purgatory come primarily from books called the Apocrypha. That's where they get their teaching. The Apocrypha is not in your Bible. It is in the Douay-Rheims version of the Catholic Bible. That's where the teachings come from, not from the Bible that we're using. There's extra stuff in there called the Apocrypha. Another border place between heaven and hell is called Limbus Infantum. Limbus Infantum is a place for unbaptized babies or the mentally impaired. They go to this holding tank, right? And aided by prayer psalms and the other stuff, can get out. You don't understand the devastating fact that, that effect that this has had on my family for generations. My grandfather, who I loved dearly, was Catholic, had nothing to do with God. 
nothing to do with God. You want to know why? Because his infant son, his only son, died in the plague of 1929. The Catholic Church told him, you can't bury your son here. He wasn't baptized. He was just a few weeks old. And my grandfather walked away from God. And my family did for generations. Limbus in phantom. <sighs> Wish we had more time. I encourage you to check it out for yourself. Physical death is not the end because a soul lives on. Jehovah's Witnesses, some other groups, in fact, some other groups within Christianity, within evangelical Christianity, are now teaching this doctrine called annihilationism. You know what annihilationism says? The wicked who die outside of Jesus cease to exist. God snuffs them out. <laughs> they are done with. Boom. Jehovah's Witnesses teach this. Now there's some Christian groups. Because we can't wrestle with the incompatibility, how can a loving God put someone in a place like that forever? A loving God doesn't put anybody in there. People choose to go there. God's not putting them there. He gives us all a choice so that all men and women and boys and girls are without excuse. Does that make sense to you? God doesn't put people there. People choose to go to there. You have a choice right now. You have a choice. That is a God of love. Is he calling you? to himself you have a choice what's it going to be huh. okay we'll keep going all right let me take a time out let me take a time out for a relevant question about what i've been teaching make sure we're understanding jocelyn you haven't used your quota yet Okay, what about an infant that dies and does not have the mental capacity to choose Jesus or not? Where does that infant go if they die? Stillborn baby. Miscarriage abortion. Infant death. Where do they go? Oh, you say paradise because you're just a bunch of loving Christians. What, what does the Bible say? Don't give me your emotional hogwash. I'm not interested. I want to know what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Micah, you're absolutely right. The Bible says very little, doesn't it? The only evidence we have is what? The only definitive reference we have is what? David's son with Bathsheba died at birth. And what did David say after his time of mourning was over? He can't come to me, but I'll see him again. That's the only inference or reference we have that, in fact, that infant was in the presence of God. So when Scripture is silent, let's not fill it in with what we think. But my personal opinion, if you want to know or care, this is my personal opinion, is that those who lack the ability, either through mental capacity or age and development, God's grace covers that. I'm absolutely convinced of that. In my study of Scripture and my understanding of working with people for over three decades, uh, which is nothing, that's nothing, but the more I hone in on the character and nature of God, He's a God of grace and compassion and mercy. And if someone does not have a choice, put it in His hands because he is a just God who will do what is right. He is. He is. Adam? Yep. 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 Yeah, me too. Have fun with that one. Uh, there are anomalies in Scripture like that passage of Scripture. Now, I have my own opinion about what that was. Was it really Samuel? And that's been debated by the church for hundreds of years. You can go online, look at that argument. 
Was that really Samuel that the medium conjured back up? Was that an evil spirit? And so uh, that kind of debate I'm not going to enter into because there's all kinds of opinion through the church ages about what exactly happened. What I do know was a result of what happened. And again, I'll take those isolated incidents like the transfiguration. Absolutely right. There are some weird things in Scripture. It's not all tied together. Why? Because God's God and his ways are not our ways. We just sang that. I hope you believe it because this thing isn't buttoned down. (laughs) Far from it. It gets a little messy out there. I don't have all the answers. I got more questions than answers, right? But I want to know where does the Bible speak definitively? And what is it saying? Because I can't take an isolated incident and make it a teaching passage. We cannot do that with the Bible. Very careful. We go to the teaching passages of Scripture in order to better understand that. Pastor Steve, you agree with that? Absolutely. Good principle. Bob? That's a good, good response. Good. So Bob's saying in Ephesians chapter 1, in love he predestined us. In love he predestined us. And isn't that the very character and nature of God? Can we lean into that? I would say yes. All right. Let's keep going. Okay. For believers, and we'll end with this. Ah, for the believer, I got some better news for you. Finally. This gets heavy. Death is not a period, but a comma in the unending sentence of your life. Everyone here is going to live forever. You, you agree? Agree with that? Everybody has eternal life. What did Jesus mean when he said, believe me, you'll have eternal life? Everybody's got eternal life. Does that mean we're all going to be with Jesus? If it does, then why am I in church? Well, I'm going to go be with Jesus. Huh. Oh, we don't have time. What do we get on this stuff? Okay. Ah. Uh, we just sang, and Michael, I appreciate so much you putting that scripture up there. 1 Corinthians 15. When our dying bodies, by the way, is your body dying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And together all the old people said? Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I better not go there. Okay, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die... Oh, praise God. This scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? For sin is a sting that results in death, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus says, thief on the cross, you're going with me. Acts 7, Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. They shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with his sin. And with that, he died. What kind of death is that? In our definition. Number two, right? Physical death, temporary separation of body from the soul and spirit. Where'd he go? He was looking right at him. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Let's get this going, all right? 2 Corinthians 5, 6. So we're always confident even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. That's where we get the phrase, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Say that. Now preach it to your neighbor. That's for believers, right? Huh. Revelation 21. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Wow. Huh. Riley, can you bring this, this thing back up, please? Or do I have to do that? No, I'm good. Yeah, nice, nice. In the Old Testament, where did people go when they died? Okay. Sheol, two compartments. 
good, bad. Good. Not so good. Okay. The bad guys just keep going this way. Those who die outside of God's love. Those who are waiting for him, waiting for the Messiah, acknowledging God, the one true and living God, were taken by Christ at his resurrection to where? Where is paradise? Sheol is always, what is Hades? No, what is Hades? Sheol, Greek word, right? Now, next week, we're going we're gonna to start filling in what happens next. And the next thing on the radar is called the Great Tribulation. Talk a little bit about that. Oh, man, you guys got so many questions. <laughs> me too. All right, let me take one or two more, and then Joe is anxious to get up here, okay? Another question or two? Sandoval, I guess there's a couple you can go separately, but... <laughs> That's okay. If the believers go to paradise, unbelievers go down to Hades, mm-hmm. and it's eternal, why do we need a judgment uh, after Christ returns? Okay, Sandoval's asking this question. If, when in fact a believer goes to paradise and an unbeliever goes to Hades, isn't that complete? The judgment's already been made. Why is there judgment according to our deeds after that? Somebody want to take a crack at that? Yeah, we're all going to be judged. In fact, I just finished the judgment section for an upcoming message, right? We're all going to stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives, and we will be judged according to our deeds. What is the basis for those who go to Hades? It's levels of punishment for eternity. So you can rest, be very certain that Adolf Hitler will have greater punishment than a very moral person who has lived but never encountered the love of God for themselves, never trusted in Jesus or trusting in something else, maybe even their church, maybe even their attendance, maybe even whatever it might be. The absolute opposite is true of heaven. There will be degrees of reward, and we're going to talk about that. And the more your deeds go ding, 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 the greater your reward. Paul said, I'm not working for this life. I'm working for that one to come. And some of us are working very hard so we can get the reward right now. I want to send mine ahead, right? Store it up there. So I'm not going to blab about all the stuff that I do because God's keeping really good score, right? And one day it's all going to be revealed. And we can have our reward here as a believer, or we can have it up there. I'm choosing up there as much as I can, right? So, that answer the question? Good. One more. Yes? Okay, so back to that whole death and dying between spirits. Yeah. So, my aunt passed away a couple years ago. Yes. Now, okay, here's, here's the situation. Her aunt, beloved aunt, died. And just a couple of years ago, she woke up and saw her aunt at the end of her bed. This is an interesting conversation. My neighbor just died, uh, broke my heart. Mary died, and uh, she had said the exact same thing about her husband. I woke up one night, and there he was, right at the end of my bed. Right? So these things happen. These things happen. Uh, what I'm going to do is compare it to what the Bible says. The Bible says this, but your experience says this. Which are you going to trust? I choose to trust the Bible, which says the dead cannot communicate with us now. Having said that, let me say this. I'm going to go out a bit of a limb here. I believe that God comforts us in really incredible ways. And locked within our subconscious are things that, that are just so precious to us. And God loves us so much that he's going to give us a glimpse that they're okay. They're okay. They're not trying to guide our lives. Just this notion, it's going to be okay. She's in a good place. It's going to be okay. I've heard this over and over and over again. Is that someone coming back from the dead? I don't think so. I think that's a a loving act of God, just letting you know in your heart 
she's okay. And you know what she'd say to you right now if she were here? I don't mean to make you cry. You know what she'd say to you? You're going to be okay if you trust in Jesus. That's what she's going to say. Did she trust in Jesus? Yeah. She loved Jesus. And we serve a loving God. You're welcome. Thank you. That's from the heart. I appreciate that. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Have you made your peace with God? So that death and its chains are broken and you are free to the life that he offers us life abundantly do you know that you know do you know that you know we talked about this last week and I got a good response from that if you have questions about this I'd like to help unpackage them with you okay we want to connect you with God a second and equally important question. Do others around you know what is our responsibility to them? We just don't get this thing, this gift, and say, wow, isn't this marvelous? It's a gift that's meant to be given away again and again and again. Do those around you know? And instantly in your mind, someone in your family that doesn't know pops up, doesn't it? Boom, right there. They don't know. They're not ready. My neighbor, my friend, my coworker, whoever that is, they don't know. They don't know. And if they were to die, oh, no, no. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We've got to tell them. We've got to tell them about this guy who loves them. We've got to show them by our actions. Jesus is real, and he loves you enough to die for you. That person that's on your heart right now, need to know Jesus. They need to know. God's asking us, are we willing to be the messenger? What will we do? What will we do? Rejoice. The kingdom is at hand. Jesus is coming. 